Mr. Bennett. <laughs> Good morning, Judge. Uh, Ryan Bennett on behalf of the debtors. Uh, I'm joined in the courtroom today uh, by my colleagues at Kirkland, Michael Slade, Jamie Fidel, Rob Jacobson, and Dave Gremling. Um, Your Honor, we're before you today seeking entry of the second uh, interim dip order. Uh, that order would uh, allow the debtors to borrow and use an additional $11 million to bridge us to, um, to February 28th, um, when we currently have court time with Your Honor to hear us again on the dip facility, either on an interim or a final basis. Uh, this morning, we filed a proposed form of second interim order, docket number 651, and we've also included a red line marked against the first interim order. Uh, and further, um, uh, Your Honor, just as of a few minutes ago, um, I'm pleased to announce that we reached, some, we reached consensus uh, on, the, uh, on the terms of a, a deal around the interim order. As you can tell by the number of people in the courtroom, that was not planned when we all arrived in Wilmington, but we, were, uh, we worked earnestly on it over the night, and, uh, and I'm happy to report that we have, uh, have, have sketched that out. I'll have a couple of things to read into the record. Um, you know, in a moment, but I would like to give you um, kind of an update as to what's going on in the case because there have been some things and we haven't Please. had hearing a little bit. Um, so um, before we present that second interim order, we'll do a quick brief status update. Um, we've been hard at work since we were last before you on the 17th of January um, and have a handful of accomplishments to report. Um, we've, uh, I think most significantly, um, the debtors in consultation with our dip lenders have identified a number of uh, transactions that we're able to um, move ahead with prior to the plan that will free up money um, that the debtors can put to work both for paying down the dip facility that we're seeking uh, permission to, uh, to borrow as well as uh, for other purposes um, related to these cases as we move forward to the, to the plan. Um, we filed a motion on the docket um, 620 seeking court approval to sell certain real estate assets. Um, as one of those transactions for an aggregate purchase price of $122.1 million. Um, uh, we also filed on that same day another motion, docket number 626, seeking to lease certain additional real estate um, assets. Um, and uh, these leases, right, will reduce the, the carrying costs of, um, of the properties, as well as uh, they contain a um, uh, reasonable prospect of a subsequent sale of that land to the tenants for $28 million. Um, the, uh, and then finally, in the coming days, we plan to file another motion to approve an additional private sale uh, that will result in another $38 million of value coming to the debtor's estate. So all told in total, and for only one-third of our total acreage, um, these transactions will result in excess of $160 million coming into the estate in the relative near term, uh, which approved by Your Honor later this month would be a remarkable result for these Chapter 11 cases and provide a line of sight as to a previously disputed view evaluation that we believe should, if folks are reasonable, resolve the remaining disagreements uh, between the lender silos. Um, the second development since we were before you last, um, the debtors have used our time wisely to collaboratively work with the creditors committee to strike a settlement with Mr. Growlin and his, uh, his corporate affiliate, uh, Negocios Libertad, um, like the previously announced settlement with um, the debtor's equity sponsor, Payne Schwartz. Um, the, uh, the settlement proceeds will be used um, to be, will be distributed to the general unsecured creditors for their benefit pursuant to a confirmed plan. Um, the, the details of that settlement, and we'll get into it at some point, but I mean, it, effectively, it's a $250,000 cash payment for Mr. Growlin and his affiliate and uh, in exchange for a release of 
potential causes of action that the debtors may have had against him. Uh, again, this is a product of the investigation that the debtors independent committee had executed uh, in connection with the uh, with the filing. <clears throat> and uh, and then third, as your honor knows, we filed our first amended Chapter 11 plan along with a motion to amend our disclosure statement and resolicit our voting creditors. Uh, the first amended plan is another important achievement, particularly for the general unsecured creditors, uh, who otherwise were not slated to receive a distribution under our, our first plan. The, the amended plan incorporates the terms of the Payne-Schwartz settlement and the, um, and the Growen settlement that I just mentioned. Um, and with respect to that plan, we recognize that we are proposing to move forward toward confirmation on an expedited basis, an expedited timeline, which uh, would propose to allow us to uh, to hold a confirmation hearing on March 13th, subject to your permission <laughs> and availability. Um, the uh, I understand Your Honor has a few questions on that front, and we're we're gonna we you know we welcome them and are, are looking forward to them. Um, and when we get to the right time, my colleague Mr. Jacobson knows the calendar backwards and forwards, and we'll be able to uh, to hopefully address um, all the issues, and we can iron out a schedule that works for you. Um, the uh, but and and then finally, Your Honor, the um, you know we're. We're continuing to try to drive to a, to a global deal here, right, where we actually have consensus amongst our lender silos, not just on this hearing, right, and getting to, you know, tomorrow, but actually closing the case down. And I think, again, accommodated by these asset sales and transactions, um, we think that, that we have a line of sight into that conclusion now that we didn't have a month ago when there was some speculation about what, um, what proceeds could actually be attained through uh, various transactions. So... Um, the, uh, the, our, our plan is to go from here, and instead of you know taking direct and cross of several witnesses, use that time, go over to Young Conway, sit down um, with the various parties, and uh, try to get to that that ultimate resolution. Um, and uh, the 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 and so with that regard, I'm, I'm going to just, if Your Honor would indulge me, just kind of read into the record. Um, what, what I've spent the last 48 hours trying to get folks to zero in on. Okay. All right. Um, so, uh, so again, we're going we're gonna to leave here, go over in person to Young Conway, sit down and earnestly work in good faith together um, with the agents, um, advisors, and with our diplender advisors um, toward a, um, a, a settlement as to the go-forward capital structure of, um, of the reorganized company. And the, um, <clears throat> the diplenders have committed to... Um, come down off their prior position in the negotiations as to the capital structure, and likewise, the um, the agents have agreed to counter and engage on that front as well. And so, um, we are hopeful that that will yield progress. Um, particularly, I think, given that we um, we were able to achieve just even this this um, uh, call it temporary arrangement with respect to interim order. I think it's the first real step where I've been able to get these folks who previously were not even talking right to um, to come together and. Uh, and I'm, I'm hopeful that it will be the, the first step toward, toward the end. Yes, yes, ma'am. And uh, so the other, the other components, in addition to just making that statement about our good faith negotiations, um, we have some reservation of rights language that will find its way to you in a revised form of order, um, basically just reserving folks' rights in the context of the interim order. Arguably, implicitly, it's already in there. Um, but um, we got explicit because folks wanted it, and largely that reservation of rights language focuses around the, um, the allocation of the dip obligations across the different debtor borrowers. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, uh, and then uh, the debtors uh, will arrange a meeting or a telephone conference with the Pearson Realty Group, which is the lender's uh, real estate advisor um, and who has been 
responsible for you know steering the transactions that are um, and helping us steer the transactions that are taking place in uh, um, later this month and uh, and provide uh, due diligence and information to uh, to the agents advisors in the context of of that telephone call um, and then finally <clears throat> um, we uh, we wanted to the debtors wanted to clarify something there was some language in the chapter 11 plan that I think you know created a little confusion or consternation with the agents and it was around what the estates would do with the um, the proceeds from these uh, these asset sales these transactions that are coming to the extent they came in before um, the uh, the plan was confirmed or prom or the promissory note in particular was issued under the plan because there's a certain understanding as to the priority of um, of the where the promissory note will sit and what it'll have access to in terms of recovery so um, they asked to, to, to us to clarify that despite you know that um, some of the language in the file plan that while that while the plan is still pending and the promissory note can still be issued under that plan or an amended version of that plan if we are holding asset sale proceeds uh, we will not pay down the prop code debt and that's just what they they asked us to so um, we've, um, we'll make that that statement and then um, with that that's that's essentially our arrangement on the con on the continuance judge and um, and then I can uh, take your honors questions or we can move to the to the dip to the extent you're, you have questions on the dip order or um, and then we can also move to the, the schedule after um, uh, interest of time yes ma'am um, So I guess, I guess we're still not there. Um, so, Judge, um, I think we'll need a break. Unfortunately, um, if you, I mean if we can, it's it's with respect to some of the language that I just read. Um, uh, I don't think there should be an issue, but um, but I think we just need to make sure okay. it's settled. Okay. How long would you like? Um, Fifteen minutes, please. Okay. Thanks, Judge. We're in recess. Fifteen.
Hi, Judge. Ryan Bennett again on behalf of the debtors. Thank you for that time. We were able to uh, sort out the clarification. And this relates to um, what we will or will not do with the, uh, the asset sale proceeds while the plan is still pending, right? And, and the, the clarification is that, you know, that we will not use um, those proceeds to pay down the PropCo prepetition debt while the plan or a, an amended version of that plan are still pending and the promissory note can still be issued under those plans. Now, there are some circumstances, right, where um, the if the class that um, that is uh, set to get the promissory note votes down the plan, right, then there will be no promissory note. In that case, this restriction comes off, right? There are cases where, you know, the the plan itself may not be confirmed. The plan itself may be withdrawn, right, by the debtors. Um, and uh, in those scenarios, right, then this this promise effectively, you know, comes, you know, uh, falls off, right? But in, but in the situation we figure it out then. Exactly. What happens if that's right. But right now we want, we want the plan that we filed, right? And we want, and we're not going to disrupt that plan by, you know, precipitously uh, paying down debt that we arguably can't even do without a further order from your your honor. So thank you. Uh, So your honor, um, with that, um, I'm going to uh, yield to my my partner, Mr. Fidel, and uh, he can answer any of your questions on the the dip order, and uh, and we'll we'll take that out, and then we'll move to the uh, what effectively I think will be a status conference, right? I don't have any questions on the dip order. If the parties have agreed to the form of order, and it's going to be revised oh. to reflect whatever the new arrangement is, then that's fine. Okay, great. Thank you, Judge. Um, and then I, I guess just for um, completeness, we'd like to move the declarations uh, into evidence. Um, and uh, so first we've got uh, the, the um, docket number 604, which is the second supplementary declaration of uh, Mr. Boken, who's in the courtroom today. Um, Your Honor, if, uh, you do, um, if we could submit that as, uh, and have that declaration be admitted into evidence. Any objections? All right, thank you, Judge. And then, um, then second, we have two additional declarations, uh, docket number 605 and uh, docket number 650. These are two declarations from Mr. Sandal, who's our lead investment banker from Houlihan. Um, Mr. Sandal's in the courtroom today, and I'd respectfully request that uh, his declarations be admitted to evidence as well. Does anyone object? I hear no one. They're both admitted. Great. Thank you, Judge. And uh, we will submit that revised order with the, um, including the reservation of rights that was part of this deal. And, uh, and then, um, and then we, if we want to pivot to the status conference to talk about scheduling. Yes, let's talk. I'm going to yield to my master of calendars, Mr. Jacobson. Thanks, Judge. Good morning, Your Honor. Rob Jacobson, Kirkland and Ellis, on behalf of the debtors. Good morning.
So I, I received the motion to shorten notice on the uh, request for uh, approval of the supplemental disclosure statement and plan. And at first in that motion I didn't see any kind of a timeline. I found one in the uh, motion itself. It's a very tight timeline. But I also want to discuss um, on my quick review of the supplemental disclosure statement. I don't it's very dense and there's no plain English almost what Mr. Bennett said today here's what's happened here's the money that's coming in I can't even tell from the uh, couple of pages in the supplemental disclosure statement how much money the settlement is with the committee <laughs> what's in the duck trust who's being released I would like to have a plain English directed really at the general unsecured creditors, here's what you're getting. You weren't getting anything before, and now here's what you're getting, and here's what it consists of. Um, and here's who you're releasing. Because it just looks like almost you took the plan and put it in the disclosure statement, and it's just you can't read anything without having your defined terms and it's just difficult. So before we have that hearing on the supplemental disclosure statement, I wanted to give you a heads up that this is what you need to do. Okay. Um, in terms of the schedule, I'm just not sure logistically how it works. As I'm reading it, well, first of all, I'm not sure how it complies with our local rules because I haven't gone back to look at that. But it's very truncated. And again, logistically, I don't know how it works, even if I were to shorten it to this. You have solicitation going out on February 26th, and 10 days later, people have to have received it, read it, and voted, and mailed it back in. That just doesn't happen. That's not the world we're living in where the mail goes that quickly. And it, it doesn't work. And then I'm also curious, though, about the separate deadline, which could be confusing for people, but the second deadline for the opt-out, which is not the same as the voting deadline. So I'd like to understand that. Um, but those are that, that's, the, that's what I'm looking at. I, whether I'm available the 13th, I actually not, don't think I am, but um, even if I were, I'm just concerned about the timeline. Understood. Um, so let me begin with the um, 3017 um, local rule requirements. Mm -hmm. So we are proposing to have approved a, a supplement to our disclosure statement. Our view is we're not, we're not asking for approval of a completely new disclosure statement. It's just extra additional information that we'll go back and make sure it's in plain English and simple to understand. Um, additional to what has already been approved as um, adequate. And so let me ask you on that front. Did the disclosure statement go to the two 
the general unsecured classes. Yes. Okay, because we were we thought it did not based on the previous order that it wasn't part of their solicitation package. But you're saying that general unsecureds already got that. Yes, and we that's um, reflected in an affidavit of service, docket number uh, four hundred fifty-five. Okay. Exhibit F. Okay. So those are the general unsecured claimants. They got a plan. They got a disclosure statement. They got pretty much everything. Okay. Yep. That's helpful. Okay. But this time they're voting. And what does our rule say about the amount of time that they're supposed to have on that? Or that's the, the disclosure statement rule. Is it? I don't. Yeah, I believe the disclosure statement rule um, for 3017-1 is 35 days um, following service of the disclosure statement. Um, that's when we'd have to have our hearing and 28 days um, after service uh, for the objection deadline to the disclosure statement. Okay. So that we're actually truncating from Yesterday, was it? When we filed our documents? Yes. The 14th. Okay. The 14th to, you want a hearing on? When did you want a hearing on that? On the 22nd. On the 22nd. So that's being shortened to eight days. It's pretty short. Okay. Let's, let's assume we get there. Now let's talk about voting and solicitation. What are the rules on that? Um, I, I'm not sure that there is a rule prescribing how many days minimum for voting. And if there is, I apologize, but. I suspect it's in 2002. That's a guess. And I don't know that we have a local rule that does anything with that, but the federal rule. But even sort of ignoring the federal rule, I just don't see how 10 days works. I don't tend to, you put it in the mail on day one. And people have to have every have read it and have it back by day ten. That's not my world with the mail. Yeah, understood. Understood. So, so even assuming I consider the supplemental disclosure statement on February ten, I'm um, so February twenty two. Your 
the confirmation schedule just doesn't work. Can you, I, I assume I have power to shorten the 28 days, but I'm not going to shorten it to 10. Understood, Your Honor. I think in our motion, we may have said that it would just be 10 days, but I think, oh, sorry, never mind. I'm getting my, uh, my dice mixed up. We understand, would, would 14 days be reasonable compromise? U.S. trustee here. Ah, Miss Sierra Hawk. I know this is not the time for the hearing. So maybe we'll discuss this if I give you the 22nd. And you should have a discussion in the meantime with the Office of the United States trustee. Okay. Um, and But can you explain, just so I understand, the additional time for the opt-out deadline? Yeah, so, of course, we, we just wanted to give people extra time, more time, to fill out an opt-out form and send it back. We were trying to be accommodating um, as much as we could because we understand, you know, we're asking for votes and confirmation hearing very quickly on a comp compressed timeline. And... You know, we wanted to give people the opportunity to opt out for a full 28 days, um, irrespective of how we were trying to get our, the timeline we were trying to get our plan confirmed. Okay. I will hear this on the 22nd at 10 o'clock to hear the disclosure statement plus the motion to... Uh, approve the disclosure the supplemental disclosure statement. Um, and I'll hear objections at that point in time on um, whether people have had enough time to look at the supplemental, whether and, and, and the request that is actually being made here and the timeline that um, you want it heard on, the debtors want this heard on. Um, But as you're hearing me, it's it's just too tight. Understood, Your Honor. Okay. That was it. I wanted to give you a heads up on those things since we were here today, um, rather than leave it until till the 22nd to uh, to discuss. So. Well, thank you. We we appreciate it. Okay. Okay. So, do we have anything else for today, Mr. Zaff? Good morning, Your Honor. Andrew Zatz from Wynton Case. On behalf of Rabobank, as the bridge agent and a pre-petition lender, uh, we're joined today by Ms. Weiner from Sidley Austin, who represents RBC as the APCO agent and also a pre-petition lender. We had jointly objected to the dip, and as Mr. Bennett described, we are sitting on our objection pending final approval of the dip uh, based on the agreement that Mr. Bennett read into the record. Um, I just want to note that while we did not um, object to the submission of the declarations as evidence for today's purposes, we're reserving rights with respect to any final hearing that may be held 
on the dip motion. Um, since we are in status conference mode, I just wanted to very quickly give the court an update on where things stand in the case from our perspective. Uh, we have been in close touch with the other OPCO lenders who are, out, who are not in the required lender group and who unanimously voted down the debtor's prior plan. Um, as I think the court is aware, even though it has not yet been before it, we do have this intercreditor dispute over the $30 million promissory note that is to be issued to the OPCO lenders as agreed under the pre-petition lender support agreement, which Rabobank and RBC signed in their aging capacities and as lenders. That dispute is ongoing. As Mr. Bennett said, we're going to sit down after this hearing and see what we can get done. And as Mr. Bennett, I think, implied, we've been at a bit of a standstill really since just before the confirmation objection deadline. And at that point, we did file a joint objection to confirmation. Um, to not do so would be to effectively accept the filed note that we believe is non-compliant with the lender support agreement. And so I think in light of the objection that we filed, parties became a bit entrenched. I will note that we did, we were the last to submit a proposal. We submitted yet another proposal. The debtors tried a straw man proposal, wasn't able to jar anything loose yet, but I'm encouraged by the required lenders agreement to sit down today to move off their prior position and re-engage. I will note, however, that the amended plan that the debtors filed the other night incorporates the committee settlement, but really does nothing to address our dispute and the issues that we raised in our confirmation objection. I think it may even raise some new confirmation issues. So we're going to continue talking, and hopefully that can get resolved. One aspect of the plan I do want to note, and I know it's not up for the court today, but Mr. Bennett noted what is, basic, what is a death trap under that plan, where if the bridge lenders and OPCO lenders vote to reject the plan, it says that they do not get the promissory note. We believe that that death trap is not approvable and is not compliant with the lender support agreement. But for now, the delivery of the promissory note is live. The required lenders are agreeing not to try to get the pre-petition PropCo facility paid down in the interim. That would require a court order, but it, it was important for us today to have it confirmed that they're not going to seek to do that while we remain in the status quo that we are now, because otherwise that would be a very big step backwards in our ongoing negotiations. So it's, it's always been made clear that the promissory note would come ahead of that facility, if nothing else, and that, that's a very important point for us. Um, I want to quickly inform the court as to why we were pressing our DIP objection today. Um, the DIP, first of all, the second interim approval that would get the availability of the DIP up to $17 million is almost the entirety of the DIP. The DIP is $22 million, and I think tw two of the 22 is optional. So, you know, we obviously had issues with the DIP that I'm not going to raise today. But when it, as it pertains to the dispute over the lender support agreement, it was pertinent because it contemplating putting priming liens on the OPCO facility, and there are potential contribution claims that could go back and forth between PropCo and OPCO depending on who repays the DIP. That's what relates to the reservation of rights that we agreed to that's going to make its way into the order. And so, you know, one of the issues, and it goes back to the death trap that I mentioned, is 
if the promissory note were to get pulled and kind of all bets were off on the lender support agreement, we don't want to be prejudiced by having this TIP facility in place while we do recognize that the debtors need additional funds. I think that the reservation of rights get us what we need to fight that fight if we ultimately have to. And so that's why we're comfortable with the res resolution that we reached today. Um, just one more point I'd like to make and then I'll sit down, unless there's more the court wants to hear from me on, um, is that we're encouraged by debtor's sale motion, um, but we need to learn more. We need to learn just how advanced these potential sales are, how firmly committed they are. We need to learn how much of the real estate's gonna be left once, if, and if these sales close. Because that's the key issue when it comes to the promissory note. How much, as, you know, how much asset value is there to pay down all this debt that the debtors wanna put on the company post-emergence? So that's why having this call with Pearson was important to us. And we, we hope that that call helps people get comfortable. And if all these proceeds are coming in, I think both sides should be more willing to come to the middle and get to a deal here. Um, there is one change in the second interim order when you compare it to the original interim order, which is that now the required lenders have review and objection rights over professional fee invoices, which is an unusual change compared to other dip orders that we've seen. Um, I think it's quite clear that they are making a not particularly subtle threat as to professional fees not in connection. <laughs> yes. So um, I just want to reserve rights on that. Our position is that under every order that's been entered and the pre-petition loan docs, these fees are all owed. Um, but we'll simply reserve on that today. And we really hope that that doesn't become a dispute before the court at a future date. With that, I think that concludes my remarks, unless there's anything the court would like to know. No, I do not have any questions. I'd like to share your optimism and uh, encourage parties to talk. All right. Thank you, Your Honor. Anyone else? Uh, Rosa Sierra Fox on behalf of the U.S. Trustee. Your Honor, with respect to the um, solicitation motion that you just granted short of notice on, I just wanted to confirm that the objections could be orally made at the hearing or whether you wanted uh, writ written objections. Um, good question. orally at the hearing. Okay, thank you, Your Honor. Yes. Good morning, Your Honor. Rachel Mosseri of Robinson and Cole on behalf of MetLife and certain of the farm banks. I rise just to uh, respond briefly to Ms. At, uh, Mr. Zatz's comments. Your Honor, the plan is not before the court today. Um, we are in the process of scheduling as, as, as we just discussed. Um, any any objections that Mr. Zatz notes that are set forth in the in the objection of RBC and Rabo are, are appropriate for another date, but that's not today. Um, we have agreed to sit down and discuss with the agents the pending and potential sales with Pearson. That that discussion is to happen shortly. I'm not sure it's quite been calendared, but we have agreed 
we have also agreed to sit down and talk right after this hearing, Your Honor. And so, um, as, as asserted, as we set forth in the reply, we believe there are violations and needed to reserve our rights with respect to that and have done so. Again, we are, we are hopeful that uh, today's discussions will be fruitful. Um, and we look forward to being back before you. Thank you. Thank you. One of the things I'm going to uh, want to hear about, too, on the 22nd is obviously whether any progress has been made among the lenders um, because I'm going to have to consider is this a contested hearing or an uncontested hearing in terms of scheduling it. I saw uh, notices of deposition on the uh, docket and if we're starting to get into that, that's a whole other level as well. So um, I'll want to hear about progress, not lack of progress. I'd like to hear about progress at the 22nd. Okay, anything else? Thank you then, we're adjourned. Enjoy.